It's Thanksgiving week on the Midnight Ride. Just after midnight Monday, November 22nd, I am Connor Coughlin. Paul Runyon is here, I think. Paul, how was your weekend? What are you guys getting ready to do this week? Well, we uh, uh, we had a great weekend um, this week. Obviously, Thanksgiving uh, coming up. Uh, it's a uh, I've heard that it's a, a day of mourning um, for many of uh, the liberals out there. Um, is is what I've heard them trying to rename the holiday. But our weekend was was good. We celebrated on Saturday. I don't know if you you saw the observance, but it was World Toilet Day on Saturday. Um, I think I celebrated was- three or four times. Yeah. Yeah, I did too, you know, and but it was created to bring awareness to the lack of sanitation, water, and hygiene facilities uh, in many parts of the world. I don't know if you knew this, but 6.3% of the world population are still practicing open defecation. So that that is uh, uh, 494 million people. And I have to tell you, I had no idea that the population of San Francisco is 494 million. <laughs> Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought that uh, they've had somewhat of an exodus there. This is, you know, it's... it's an excrement or an exodus? Yeah, what are you I, talk- I, what? I mean, there's still that many people in San Francisco. I'm, on a serious note, I, I know you as a parent, like I, are always trying... I mean, we live in a decadent, um, ungrateful society. This is the wealthiest society in the history of humanity. And uh, it's it's hard to tell a teenager that or, you know, um, and I tell my, uh, you know, I'm not in the Hunter Biden tax bracket or anything like that. But I I tell my son, hey, you know, you are basically a little rich kid and, you know, they don't want to hear that. Um, Everybody wants to be the victim. Everybody wants to, you know, think that their lot in life is worse than others. But I said, well, listen, you know, you have a cell phone, you have a television in your room, you have all these things, but let's, let's step back a minute and just imagine having to go to the bathroom outside every day and walk, you know, two or three miles to get water every day because millions upon millions of people have to do that. So, I mean, we can joke about national toilet day, but it's just another reason to be thankful, Paul. It certainly is. Uh, if you go through uh, some of the, quote, most underserved populations in the United States, as you said, still have cell phones. Uh, you go by the homes, the houses, whether that's public housing projects, you see the satellite dishes, uh, you see uh, air conditioning, you know, cable. Yep. You see Xbox, you see PlayStation 4. Uh, people seem to have enough money to buy weed and other recreational drugs. So I don't I, I have an issue with uh, things being that bad. And if you look at the the, the countries where uh, open defecation is still practiced, and I was I was somewhat joking about San Francisco, although not completely. It's not a four hundred ninety four million. They, San Francisco probably does make up a good portion of open defecation, but places like Congo, Sudan, Ivory Coast. There's a few cities. I'm looking at a, a map here from. Status online from the World Health Organization that shows those countries, and I don't think those people are openly defecating by choice. But in places like San Francisco, people are openly defecating by choice, which sort of separates the world into two places of open defecation. Are you yeah. suffering from mental illness where you want to do it, or is it because you really don't have those facilities? And the government of of some of these places puts up with it, um, in the United States. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's insanity. Um, but we should always, not just this week, but every week, uh, you know, thank, thank our, our creator and, and, and thank our, and count our blessings. You know, we really have a lot, uh, living. I tell people all the time, as you hear people, you know, throwing around, um, you hear the corporate owned media and, and, you know, academia talking about privilege, you know, there's basically a couple of real forms of privilege in the United States. One is if you were born in the United States. And another is if, if you had two parents, a mom and a dad, and if you had those two things, chances are you're living, you know, a a lifestyle that had not seen uh, anywhere in the annals of history. Parents need to be held accountable. I mean, we need to have these two-parent households. The problem is, and this is our first subject today, is you're seeing so much misinformation, which I would classify as propaganda, 
coming out of the media as to why people are in the condition that they are in and the real issues are not are not being blamed. Yeah, let's get to propaganda, but just for one second, I just want to say one other thing uh, that we have to be thankful for is that um, our Commander-in-Chief, President Joe Biden, uh, recovered from a routine procedure. Um, Kamala Harris, I believe, was technically present for president for 43 minutes, um, which is a terrifying... She was not technically president. She had, quote, presidential power. <laughs> Well, I don't know what that means. It probably means if we get attacked at that minute that she, you know, directs the military. That's God help us all. Frightening enough. That happened. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, President Biden, you know, we, we pray for your health uh, every night. And uh, and so thank goodness he came out of that. But yeah, let's talk about. Does he pray for his health or does he know what his health is? I, I sometimes I, I wonder uh, what he knows and, and you know. <laughs> I think a good example. Uh, look at the look at the birds. Look at the pretty birds outside on Golden Pond. As I look out the window, you know, a, a good <laughs> example of that, Paul, and this might tie into what you wanted to get at is is the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. Um, President Biden, I, I don't know where he was, but I think he got off of Marine One or something, and and a reporter asked him, you know, what are your thoughts about the Rittenhouse verdict? You didn't you? call him a white supremacist. Do you stand by those comments today? And he said, I stand by our jury system. The jury has spoken. Then he goes back in to the White House. And sometime after that, his Twitter feed, which, you know, I tend to think uh, is not controlled by Joe Biden himself. You tend to think that? <laughs> And he, and he says, uh, many Americans feel angry and concerned, myself included. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, he, he stands by the jury when he's asked, and he, he has all his faculties. Uh, then he goes inside to the, to the West Wing, and, and this statement comes out that says that he's angry and concerned. The media. My question, well, my question here is, and I've heard many legal experts say that Kyle Rittenhouse has a good defamation case against many members of the media, public figures that have defamed yep. him. We talked about that uh, last and, week. Yeah, and even even President Biden. But could President Biden use the defense that he has dementia, and therefore? cannot be held accountable for the comments that he makes. I don't think so because the com remember the comments were made um not recently, you know, they were made in in 2020 and he wasn't president at the time. I don't think you can sue a sitting president. Um but you know this whole Rittenhouse thing it it, it does get to what you were saying about propaganda. We have seen in the last, you know, 72 hours, quote unquote, legal experts on, on MSNBC um, saying things like, I don't think you'll see the mass protests that we saw in 2020 because now the, the legal system basically says that, you know, anybody can go out and just start shooting protesters and there won't be any legal recourse. I mean, so many absurd things have been said during the trial. We had uh, MSNBC, you're an M NBC employee following the jury bus, all kinds of framing, you know, that, of, of this case and, and putting the case in frames that um, a good number of Americans uh, are, are seeing the case through. And, you know, a lot of people bought into this narrative that somehow the fact that Rittenhouse shot three white criminals, um, and a couple of them were, were a complete nuisance to society, that this is an affront against the black community, that this represents um, so, some sort of, you know, raci racist justice system. How defending yourself against th a, a, white, a white young man defending himself against three other white men, all three of whom have a criminal history, some of which is violent, becomes a racist attack against the African-American community is just beyond me. But, you know, it brought me to looking at the, the Oxford uh, English definition from the dictionary of propaganda. 
and it says, noun, information, especially of a biased or misleading nature used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. Uh, 1.1, the dissemination of propaganda as a political strategy. So as you can see, I think that that, you know, we're in an age where propaganda, especially among the mainstream media, is being used daily and it's having disastrous impacts on the public. And what I did was I went back over the last few years and I said, you know, this has been going on for a long time. And I came up with a list that I wanted to read to all of you today of some things that I came up with that I would classify and I think most people would classify as propaganda. So I'm going to read through this now for you and uh, I'd like to hear your, your thoughts about this, Connor, when I'm done. Sure. So, okay, so let's go. We've got uh, the uh, Trump, Russia, uh, Trump coordinating with Russia during the 2016 campaign. Uh, Trump is a racist, invoking the 25th Amendment against Trump because he is mentally incapacitated. Systemic racism as an issue in the United States. CRT is not real. Parents are domestic terrorists. Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist. Michael Flynn was committing treason. January 6th was an armed insurrection. Nick Sandman is a racist. Kenosha was a mostly peaceful protest. Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. Hands up, don't shoot. The famous uh, words of Michael Brown that didn't actually happen. Cops are racist. The climate crisis is going to destroy the planet and we only have 12 years to stop it. 15 days to stop the spread. Masks on kids will keep them safe. Vaccines will end the pandemic. Death Santis. Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. Winsome Sears is the black face of white supremacy. The Virginia election was due to race and white racists voting for Glenn Youngkin. Gender is not binary. Calling illegal aliens undocumented migrants. Trump put kids in cages. It's too dangerous to vote in person because of COVID. Uh, uh, the, um, where are my list here? Voter suppression is a serious issue in America. Voter ID is racist. There's a big one. In, inflation is a good thing for the country. The labor shortage, there is no shortage, just people who don't want to work, right? COVID is the reason for everything wrong in society right now. Israel is an apartheid state. And finally, Build Back Better will add zero dollars to the deficit. Yeah, <laughs> all of those things are good examples of it. Um, and I, I want to, you know, I've, I've looked at this a little bit. Um, now, we'll talk about some things that, you know, I think our, our listeners should look into. Um, but there was a famous propagandist um, or a public relations executive, uh, somebody who worked for the U.S. government, somebody who worked for major corporations like Procter & Gamble and other major ones. His name was Edward Bernays. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Famous. He's considered infamous. Yeah, he's considered the father of public relations. Um, among the things, you know, you've seen that movie. Thank you for smoking. Um, he he did something like that, um, where uh, basically the tobacco companies said, "Hey, you know, we we have a lot of men smoking. How do, how can we get more women to smoke?" And so he came up with a campaign that cigarettes were. Torches of freedom, um, and and a and a sort of a symbol for women to be more, uh, you know, promote their individuality, promote their strength. So he called them torches of freedom, and that worked. He worked, you know, he did a lot of work for uh, companies, and he he wrote a couple of books. One was called Crystallizing Publ Public Opinion, and another was called Propaganda. And I want to read you from the cover of that book. It's basically the word propaganda and the letters, each one, the peace propaganda, the O. Only through the active energy of the intelligent few. How, does that sound familiar? Sophisticated, it, vaccinated yes. folks. Can the public at large become aware of and act upon new ideas? P, 
Propaganda bears the same relation to education as to business or politics. A. A presidential candidate may be, quote, drafted in response to, quote, overwhelming popular demand, but it is well known that his name may be decided upon by half a dozen men sitting around a table in a hotel room. G. Government, whether they are monarchical, constitutional, democratic, or communist, depend on acquiescent public opinion for the success of their efforts and governments only exist by virtue of public acquiescence. Um, That's sort of a, a, and we'll stop there on the Bernays, but that sort of ties in with our concept of a government uh, of the people, by the people, and for the people. I keep saying this about COVID lockdowns and everything else. It really, they're only allowed to do this if we allow them to. But uh, Bernays really speaking there, Paul, to uh, a lot of things that, you know, the public has to be controlled. Their minds, you know, have to be, there's a lot of framing that needs to be done. Otherwise, you know, governance cannot occur. There's a couple of sides to this coin. But I really think that this Rittenhouse trial, the Build Back, Build Back Better, a lot of the things that are going on, um, they have the, the, at least the legacy media um, p- propagating narratives, um, and maybe not so much on social, well, social media as well, big tech. It's very powerful. And, and I think you're right. Propaganda is pervasive, and there's a lot of it going on right now. Uh, exactly. I could see when history books are written, you know, could be 50 years from now, they could read something like this. Uh, I'm going to read you something that I kind of put together here. Uh, Following the uh, Democratic takeover of power in uh, 2020, uh, the party established the uh, Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice, headed by Merrick Garland. The uh, division's aim was to ensure that the government's message was successfully communicated through art, music, theater, films, books, Radio, the internet, educational materials, and the press. There were several audiences for this propaganda. Americans were reminded of the struggle against uh, white males, uh, toxic masculinity, uh, especially during periods preceding legislation or executive measures uh, against uh, certain members of the population named uh, white supremacists. Uh, The propaganda campaigns created an atmosphere of tolerance of violence against, uh, quote, white supremacists. Uh, It it was also, the propaganda also encouraged passivity and acceptance of the impending measures uh, against white supremacists as these appeared to depict uh, the U.S. government as stepping in and restoring order. I did not make that up. I took that exactly from the Holocaust Encyclopedia, and I replaced the word Jew with white supremacists. What do you think about that? It's chilling. It's chilling. Um, And the government is definitely pushing this narrative. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, presidential candidate Biden called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. Um, I believe immediately after the president was inaugurated, his new secretary of defense, um, basically did a, a mandatory training for the entire military on extremism, uh, which largely focused on whites, you know, white supremacist groups. Um, the, the troops that were brought in to, um, as part of this charade of January 6th, the, of the National Guard, they were vetted to see if there were any, you know, "Quote unquote white supremacists," and our the same Attorney General Merrick Garland said that the biggest threat to the republic was white supremacists. Exactly, so- and I don't see, and you know, I don't know any white supremacists. I mean, are people that want small government white supremacists? What I just read to you from the Holocaust Encyclopedia, I took Merrick Garland's name, and I, you can probably guess who what the name was that I replaced, right? Uh, Goebbels. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, Joseph. Go- Go- Goebbels, Goebbels, however you pronounce it, yeah. who was the head of the, the Reich Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda, which I called the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. Uh, and as you can see, this it, it seems like they're using the exact same tactics, except they're just calling anyone they don't agree with a white supremacist. 
and trying to sort of get the, the public passive and uh, accepting of uh, certain classes of people being deemed white supremacists and getting them supportive of any government action against them. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's very telling what, what the media shows us and what they don't show us, and also the sort of the hypocrisy of the press. I mean, imagine uh, with some of these cases, if the situation on the ground was a photo negative, if Kyle Rittenhouse were black, um, you know, and he was attacked by those same three white felons, would there have been uh, the outrage? If uh, the police, if, let's see, George Floyd, if George Floyd were white, would his, uh, would the police officer that was on top of him uh, been convicted for first degree murder, et cetera, et cetera? And, and oh, by the way, I think that same day that Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted, I believe down in Vero Beach, Florida, there was an African American uh, on trial for his life for first degree murder. Uh, it was a self defense case involving, you know, shooting at a SWAT team and his girlfriend was killed in the crossfire. He was acquitted. I did not see anything. And I was flipping around on all three major cable news networks. I did not see any of them mention this case. Uh, why? Because it doesn't fit their narrative. does not fit their narrative, and it would not fall in line of propaganda. And what's interesting is that the only way to ensure that this propaganda sticks and holds and that the public is doing what you want them to do is to essentially create a police state. And that's what the, that's what the Nazis did. And if you look at some of the actions now, it's almost like we're going into some level of a police state. I don't know if it's getting worse, if it's going to keep getting worse or it's going to be where it is. But if you look at some of the actions of the uh, last few years and even weeks of uh, January 6th defendants who, you know, are being charged with trespassing, disorderly conduct, uh, obstructing a public proceeding, which I think is the most serious charge that anybody's hit with. Somehow they're being held in uh, solitary confinement in uh, what the U.S. Marshals have deemed uh, inhumane conditions, which could be a violation of their constitutional rights. You're seeing Project Veritas getting raided uh, and having... Uh, the information being leaked to the New York Times. Um, you're you're having uh, just so many, you know, what happened to Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, this is getting pretty scary. And it looks like uh, there are certain elements of a police state that are starting to evolve in this country. Don't you think, Connor? Yeah, I do. I, I wanted to apologize uh, just to, I, I didn't know we were going to close out the last segment, but I criticized President Trump for saying that the media were the enemy of the people. I thought that that was out of the, you know, Hugo Chavez, uh, you know, Fidel Castro playbook. But um, he looked kind of, he looks prophetic now if you look at all the hijinks going on in the media. And the media are supporting this police state stuff as well. Imagine if President Trump were doing things like raiding the home of a journalist to get a diary of, you know, Don Jr. or something like that. Something that, by the way, Project Veritas did not publish. In fact, they, um, I think they tried to turn it into authorities because they couldn't verify the validity. They're of, not the ones that even took the diary. That's right. That's right. But they, they got raided. They, and, and by the way, uh, you know, we saw a little bit of spying on journalists by the FBI during the Obama administration. Um, there was uh, CBS News' Cheryl Atkinson. There was another a reporter from Fox News. Yeah, wasn't James Rosen? Was that James his name? Rosen? Yeah. James Rosen. So and we it turned out that the FBI, I think, got phone numbers, and I believe they were were they not spying on um, uh, on these journalists? Yes, I believe. Yeah, and, and that a little bit of that happened. Well, we don't know how much happened. We know that happened, but uh, yeah, they took uh, they took the guy from Project Veritas, uh, O'Keefe. They took his cell phones. Got a lot of sources, you know, that's why they raided his house, not for the diary, but to get whoever's leaking things out of the White House. They must be terrified. And yeah, it's, it, it is terrifying because, you know, it's sort of this thing like, 
you know, first they came for James O'Keefe, then they came for me. Um, the Attorney General Garland, you might remember, I mean, this this really affects every single American. Uh, on October 4th, Merrick Garland sent a memo to the FBI to investigate an alleged, uh, to investigate parents groups. And um, using the Patriot Act, nonetheless. Exactly. To, and, to do this. Which using gives, the counterterrorism division of the FBI to set up a tip line to track parental threats. Yes. And, and this week it came out that, you know, the counterterrorism division had created a threat tag for these parents. Um, and he went on Capitol Hill and he was questioned by Senator Ted Cruz and others. And, you know, he he he, he basically said, well, we're not we're not doing this stuff. And uh, turns out that he is and he may have perjured himself. Um but what, what was not known or was not really reported in most of the media, although the newspaper that I now consider the paper of record in the United States, the New York Post, the oldest paper in the country, reported that a company called Panorama Education, which is co-founded by a, a gentleman by the name of Zan, X-A-N, Tanner, um, sells surveys to school districts nationwide with a focus on, quote, social and emotion climate. Um, and it's it's in 1,500 school districts in all 50 states. Zan Tanner is Merrick Garland's son-in-law, and he's pushing CRT in all 50 states. And Garland is using the FBI to intimidate parents who don't want racist poison taught to the schools, and they're using the Patriot Act and all of the authorities therein. This the entire thing is a farce. I mean, the problem with creating a police state is it violates all of our uh, uh, endowed rights under the Constitution and under the Bill of Rights. I want to go through a few of these here and maybe we can talk about how a police state violates some of these. So uh, one, you've got the Fourth Amendment search and seizure. Um, so that essentially means that you have to have a warrant to, uh, to do anything. I think we can talk a little bit about that. The fifth amendment is grand jury, double jeopardy, self-incrimination and due process. So that talks a little bit about, uh, your fifth amendment rights. When people hear that, that's the right to, to not incriminate yourself, your right to remain silent. Yeah, um, I think, I think we saw the prosecutor in the Rittenhouse case, not respecting that particular amendment in the constitution. Yep, we did. Uh, the Sixth Amendment, which talks about criminal prosecutions, a jury trial, and the right to confront and to counsel. Uh, I think if we saw in in um, the Rittenhouse trial, we did see that there was uh, an unknown uh, man that kicked Kyle Rittenhouse in the face, and it turned out that the prosecution actually knew who that was and chose to keep his uh, identity a secret, which was a violation of, of Kyle's rights there. Uh, you also have the Eighth Amendment, um, which is excess bail or fines and cruel and unusual punishment. Um, I think we talked about some of these uh, January 6th defendants that if you're getting charged with trespassing, that would look to me like cruel and unusual punishment. So I feel like we've got this entire Bill of Rights. I mean, we've got half of the original Bill of Rights seem to be getting violated on a daily basis now. Um, by police state tactics. And I, I don't see people standing up to it. I'm not sure what sort of cases can bring be brought forth. I'm not sure how the courts can get involved. But uh, this, you know, if you look at regimes of the past, whether it was the Nazis, whether it was Joseph Stalin, the only way you were able to maintain your narrative when it got to an extreme case was through police state tactics. Well, we've it, seen, you know, we did see President Biden and the governor of Wisconsin, although they did say some, they did use charged language about, you know, the fact that they were rooting for Rittenhouse to go to prison for the rest of their lives. They did say, they did talk about respecting uh, the jury system, et cetera, but the, it is a very thin line. And, and the corporate owned media and the, and the propagandists of the Democratic Party, one and the same, they're basically creating an environment where we, we may not have the, the best legal system in the world anymore because of jury intimidation, because every single case uh, is a 
tinderbox. And if it does, if the verdict doesn't go the way that they want, um, violence and, and rioting and, and arson and murder will ensue. And, uh, Jurors, I mean, during the Rittenhouse trial, jurors themselves were being threatened. I mean, people were on social media essentially saying, you know, if I know who you are, find out who you are and acquit him, you know, you're dead man. Well, so think, what are I you going to do? Why, I think it's, well, that's why it was five, three or four or five days of deliberation is because the holdouts were terrified about their own life. But this is what's going on. The, the media is cheering it on. You can only imagine if the same sort of stuff was happening under a Trump administration in terms of what's going on with the FBI, et cetera. Speaking of uh, nine, you know, we always talk about 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, 935 Pennsylvania Avenue is the uh, FBI headquarters, which is named after a famous FBI director. <laughs> uh, no, the, a non-binary <laughs> FBI director? A guy, <laughs> yeah, a guy who... Uh, you know, spy the founder, on, of the founder of the modern day trans movement. The, yeah, the guy, who's, <laughs> the guy who spied on you know Dr. Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, you know, he'd be proud of of where they are because y- you mentioned Russia Gate and the complicity of the FBI in basically taking down a president that that uh, called them out a little bit. It, it's just beyond the pale. Um, I hope. Well, I mean, if you guys don't hear from me next me- next week, I may be in in prison with the uh, QAnon shaman, uh, who, by the way, got I think over three years in prison for his uh, hijinks on January. Did 6th. you hear what his chart? What he was convicted of? No, it was obstructing a public proceeding. He got almost four years for that. One count, one felony count. Yeah, I mean, he looks like kind of a kook, but, um, you know, this is all, you know, part of the narrative. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think people who who tried to burn down the federal building in Portland or, or burn down the police precinct in Minneapolis uh, got any time uh, that I'm aware of. But, you know, you won't see that uh, in your in your corporate media. Well, in fact, just uh, just two nights ago after the Rittenhouse trial, uh, there were attempts to burn down the Justice Center and destroy the Justice Center in Portland. So I'm interested to know who's being held accountable for uh, actually trying to destroy a federal building. No, the answer, nobody. Well, when we come back, Paul, we're going to talk about something that I know is very near and dear to your heart, which is, you know, who does it better? Is it the American private sector or is it big government? We'll explore that when we come back on the Midnight Rod. We're back, and Paul, I think I noted the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, did you watch Saturday Night Live a couple nights ago? No. Uh, neither did I. But uh, I Speaking did, of propaganda. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I want to get to that because, uh, you know, during the weekend update section, uh, they had a special panelist, which was Mother Earth, and Mother Earth was talking about uh, cop 26 and in that um r- ridiculous segment which i did watch on social media um basically there was a point in there where they asked mother earth if new technology could help in the climate battle and he he or she said i don't know i feel like all i see is divorced nerds trying to colonize mars um, there was a heavy laugh track placed on during that. You know, obviously the show is not funny anymore, but you mentioned it. I mean, they are they are one of those tools um, of of the you know corporate media, and uh, I think that's a slap at Elon Musk, uh, who is becoming a big target of the leftists. It is, and and I have been a fan of Elon Musk for years, and I almost feel like. Elon Musk is kind of the last great innovator that is potentially saving this country. If you if you take away Elon Musk's innovations uh, and compare and then compare our country to the Chinese, we're getting destroyed in innovation technology. But thanks to Elon uh, and his ability to create, to imagine, to get things done. The he's he's single handedly continuing to keep America 
uh, as the technological leader in AI and alternative energy in space exploration. It's astounding what he's done. And what's very disappointing to me is to see uh, big government essentially trying to destroy everything he's doing. You had his, his factory getting shut down over COVID rules uh, in California, which, which uh, got him to move to Texas. You've now got a uh, the government is now deciding that they're going to punish Tesla for being non-union. And in the Build Back Better Act, uh, the tax credit you get for buying a Tesla vehicle is smaller than GM or Ford. And you actually had the President of the United States the other day uh, calling out uh, GM and Ford for leading the electrical vehicle revolution and completely leaving Tesla out of any of his comments. And... Then you've got the uh, National Highway Transportation Safety Administration opening a probe into Tesla's autonomous driving system, which to me seems like just another way to intimidate. And it's this big government uh, attitude that uh, seems to chill not only the First Amendment, but Americans' ability to innovate. Yeah, I mean, saying that GM you know, and Ford lead in... in in the electrical vehicle industry, it's like saying RC Cola leads in the in the soda industry. I mean, it's it's laughable. Um, but you know, this is this is also a, a major point of concern because these are the kind of people. And you mentioned him as our last great innovator. Um, you know, how do people think we got here? You know, I mean, yes, there was government funding of uh, military technologies that helped with uh, the formation of the internet and, and the next great phase of our economy. But it wasn't, uh, you know, the secretary of energy or, or uh, you know, some government bureaucrat that took, took us to the next step. It was people like Steve Jobs and obviously Elon Musk. There, there have been many of them throughout. I mean, people who built the production lines, um, Henry Ford. Henry Ford, you know. So, I, I mean, you see uh, Bernie Sanders going at Elon Musk. You see Lauren Michaels now going at him. Um, and This is not good for America. No, it's not at all. What are, I mean, if you have your next great idea and you think you have some innovation that's going to change the world, are you going to think twice about doing that, knowing that the government is going to actively stop you because they're – uh, because of some political animus or because they're trying to protect existing industries or unions or what have you, and it just becomes too high of a barrier. I mean, the fact that the government becomes the barrier to innovation is so self-defeating and scary that it does not pretend well for the future of our country. I want to give a few examples um, of the differences. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about the infrastructure bill a couple weeks ago, and we did talk about high-speed rail. In California, billions, I mean, I think almost $100 billion was put towards high-speed rail. It was a government-run program. Mm -hmm. All the money got wasted. Nothing got built. Uh, and in the contrary, in, in uh, Florida, you had what was called the Bright Line, uh, Fortress uh, Investment, which is a uh, private equity fund, did most of the investment. They sold they sold private sector bonds to help build it. And you now have a high-speed rail network running in South Florida that's opening to Orlando next year. Uh, it's gotten built faster than anybody could imagine with minimal government interference uh, and support from uh, Governor DeSantis and Governor uh, Rick Scott uh, before him in Florida. And uh, But this is all private money, private corporations? All private money, all privately done. And you look, and for a fraction of the tens of billion dollars spent in California, which got spent for nothing, there's literally a, uh, there's some track foundation in the Central Valley of California that's just sitting there empty. Um, there have been corruption, there's been claims of corruption at the California High Speed Rail Authority. I mean, they developed an entire government agency to deal with this that's just become a jobs program. Now, where I'm... I'm from California. I have a lot of friends in Florida. I know that there are people in Tampa, in Miami, that would love to be able to hop on a high-speed train and get to Disney World, for example. It's um, happening. It's yeah. happening. That's but, By next year, you're going to have 
a train that makes it from Miami to Disney World in about two hours uh, in normally a drive that takes about four hours. Yeah, and but in California, I don't remember there being a huge demand signal for that line, which was supposed to go, I think, to the Bay Area, maybe from Los Angeles. I don't remember exactly what, but I don't remember a huge demand signal for it. Yeah, it was going to go from the Bay Area to Los Angeles. Uh, uh, you know, I could see if it were truly fast enough to go downtown to downtown. I mean, I know flying from L.A. to San Francisco can be really annoying. I mean, the San Francisco airport gets held up with fog. LAX, as you know, is essentially like a third world airport. So it's not easy to get from one to the other. So could it have been built? I see it being successful. But due to the government um, intrusion and involvement in this, it was just it was doomed to fail. And a hundred billion dollars, if you gave that to somebody like, say, Elon Musk, what could they do with that amount of money? I mean, the tremendous waste, it, it, that money went somewhere. Some of it ended up in some people's pockets. And I, I mean, it's it's already uh, water under the bridge, no pun intended, but the, the infrastructure bill, there's a lot of that type of stuff in there. Well, what's worse with big government is what it can do to really small businesses. I mean, imagine being a large business, being the richest man in the world like Elon Musk and being held up by the government. I mean, that's obviously very for the national innovation and leadership on the world stage. That's a, a very big problem for us. But what's even worse is what it does to small business owners. And I saw an article in the San Francisco Chronicle from last week, and the title is, They Wanted to Open a Noodle Shop, But the San Francisco Bureaucracy is Causing Regrets. It's about the story of a couple, Yoko and Clint Tan, who are uh, Japanese uh, immigrants. They... Um, they did a pop-up in Daly City, California, where they served uh, thousands of customers over five years, making delicious ramen noodles. I'd love to try it myself and go out there. And what they wanted to do was turn into a permanent uh, restaurant in San Francisco. And now they're $100,000 in the hole and full of regrets. They got caught up in what was, quote, uh, navigating the city's Byzantine permitting process. Um what they did was they secured their space. They started paying rent. And uh, within um, weeks, they got into, uh, they got into trouble uh, in, in creating the, their restaurant. They had to spend, they spent $50,000 right up front in key money, uh, which is to pay for the lease, cooking equipment, furniture. The rent was $3,600 a month. Um, but what happened was he, uh, while he was getting everything started, he disconnected a sink to work on bathroom tile and put in a light fixture around it. But then an anonymous person called their 311 number to report work being done without a permit. And, uh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, so what, ha 11 days later, uh, an inspector ordered the work to stop. So he couldn't put in tile anymore on his floor and he started getting hit with fines. He, the city told him that he had to proceed with permit applications to, um, to, to do the work uh, on his sink. And uh, according to Tan, he sent everybody the same information about five times. It kept getting lost. Um, uh, and uh, right now he can only cook his noodles in a microwave oven because the city won't let him hook up uh, an electric range. <laughs> I wonder if so, those I wonder how those noodles taste compared to, you know, noodles prepared on on a stovetop or a range. I know. Well, Tan could probably go to Florida and get the get his restaurant opened in about three days. <laughs> yeah, I um, mean it's 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 not just uh, restaurants and things like that, though. As you say, our society depends on some of these small businesses. And uh, the government, you know, stifling innovation is only going to put us in a tougher spot as we try to compete against China and other major economies. It is. And I'll give you another example. Uh, you know, we, there is a housing crisis in this country. How, we, there's a shortage of housing supply, which is creating uh, really high rents. And that is a big problem. I think there's bipartisan agreement that that's an issue. And I will let you know some of the problems that uh, landlords have had in trying to renovate housing, build housing, get it ready. 
I mean, if you want to get a, in some of these cities, if you want to get a permit just to uh, put in a new kitchen, that could take you up to six months of, you have to submit a plan to the city. There's all these rules about asbestos from, you know, 50 years ago, which wouldn't even apply to modern buildings. Uh, you get, um, in, in many cases, once you submit all the material, it could take the city six months to even look at your plan and agree. And meanwhile, you have empty housing units sitting there that the city is, is keeping from getting uh, ready for rent. And all that does is exacerbate the housing crisis. I honestly believe that almost all of the problems in this country can go back to government regulation and bureaucracy. Well, uh, you know, people vote with their feet. If you're living in one of these places like California, like New York, um, you know, you, you can always move out and, uh, and go to, especially if you want to start a business. It is very tough. Um, looking at CNBC reporting on the top states for business in 2021, I'll read you the top 10. Virginia, North Carolina, Utah, Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, Minnesota, Colorado, Washington, and Ohio. They have Florida at 17, um, and they have South Dakota at 29. I, I, I think both of those states are probably you know, much higher uh, on that list in, in terms of friendliness to business than... You have some issues in some of those places, and I will say in Florida, especially in South Florida, uh, you have some jurisdictions, Broward County and others, that have put in these huge bureaucracies that have kind of thwarted thwarted the state and that, um, you know, what, what a lot of these cities have done uh, in not just Florida and other places is they're almost like these self-licking ice cream cones where they have to get these permit fees to, uh, to keep their operation going. So they're actually incentivized to create more and more and more regulation and charge small businesses more and more and more money so that they can bring in more and more money and keep their operation going and growing. And these, these government offices that oversee these regulations and these permits and these local cities to uh, regulate businesses have an incentive to, uh, to fine and charge business owners because uh, it keeps them keeps their little fiefdoms alive. Well, it's, it's like a cancer and it just grows and grows. Um, with that, let's just, before we close and just shift focus for a second, the house of representatives has passed the build back better legislation. It sort of ties into what we're saying. Um, a Biden spokesman came out and, and said that, um, you know, that this will not add anything to the budget, you know, you again, mean zero dollars to the deficit. Yeah. Uh, even zero. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy Joe at it again. Yeah. Uh, so the CBO came out and said that it would add a few hundred billion to the deficit. I think we can we can say that that's probably a conservative estimate. There are tax cuts. Yeah, that is so. So that is not so. So just to get everybody, all of our math challenged listeners out there, a few hundred billion is not zero. Yeah, if anybody didn't know the difference. Joe may not know the difference, but. But for anybody that's done arithmetic in school, uh, seven hundred billion or three hundred billion dollars is in fact a different number than zero. But this Just sort of to clarify that. Yeah, this sort of though proves our point about you know the 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 media and the people who sit there and watch, uh, you know CNN, MSNBC, and they they lit they they hear something like that and they believe it. Um, another another narrative they're putting out is that that there aren't people under 400,000 that are going to be taxed. No, the tax, there will be tax increases. There are huge already inflationary strains on American pocketbooks. And oh, by the way, they're cutting taxes for the rich as a part of this bill. Um, the elites, the coastal elites in, in states uh, that were affected by the uh, Trump tax reforms will get more, the, the rich people will be getting more money back. Yeah, that was through the SALT deduction where uh, for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, mainly only if you are a rich coastal elite are you familiar with the SALT deduction. That allows you to uh, deduct your um, state and local taxes, which could be, you know, so if you live in New York, that would be your income tax, your property taxes, which are 
which are the highest in the country, allows you to deduct those for the federal from from your federal taxes. And what that means is that American taxpayers all over the country are essentially paying the local taxes of rich coastal elites in New York. So if you live in a state like Texas, which has no taxes, has no state income tax, has low property taxes, you are still in fact paying taxes like that, but you are paying it to the government of New York. And that is what the uh, the Democrats in Congress have tried to put back in to allow the uh, the elitists uh, on the coasts to um, to have a tax cut. Yeah, well, they're doubling down. We see them doubling down on on CRT. They're trying to rename it, rebrand it. Now they're doubling down on these failed policies of you know pumping money into the economy. And you know we're on a precipice, Paul. I mean, the House has passed this. They just need. Senators Manchin and Cinema now, and they can ram this thing through. But I encourage all of our listeners, uh, starting you know today, call your senators. Uh, we don't have any listeners I've checked in West Virginia yet, but we have them in most other states. We've got a lot of them actually in in Virginia and North Carolina. I, I don't care. I if mean, you're call, in- Joe, call Joe Manchin anyway. I mean, you don't have to yeah. live in West Virginia. I mean, obviously. Uh, non-West Virginians were going up to his houseboat in D.C. I mean, and and you know, people were following Kristen Cinema into the bathroom. They might not have all been constituents. No, so, but if, they, if people care about being re- reelected, I mean, these the senators need to hear, especially the ones in places like Virginia, North Carolina. Hey, my constituents are not in favor of this. They're concerned about inflation. Um, everybody, I don't care how red your state is. Um, we we all have a stake in in this thing. If if it passes, um, you see how bad inflation is now. It will only get much worse. Uh, you are could not have could not have said it better myself, Connor. As I as I often say when I hear you speak, um, but they uh, this is a you know whether this passes or not. I have no idea. I have a theory that um, that this bill may not pass at all. Um, the, the house seemed to put in all of these provisions, which may just be fodder for people to go back to their districts. So for example, the salt deduction was put back in, um, that's for, uh, Josh Gottheimer and some of the other moderate Democrats to be able to go back to their, um, districts in New Jersey and elsewhere and say, Hey, look, I got you that this tax cut. Um, some of the other pieces uh, were put back in for the AOC types, but, uh, may not go anywhere in the, in the in the Senate. I can't see Joe Manchin voting for this without a whole bunch of things getting taken out. Well, I hope you're correct. And uh, we'll, we'll close it there. I just want to say, if you're listening to us, um, please give us a five-star rating on Apple podcasts or wherever you're, you're hearing us uh, today and, and tell a friend, uh, spread the word about the podcast. Um, do not be intimidated by the FBI or, you know, the, the people uh, coming after you with the Patriot Act. Uh, stay involved in the school boards, and uh, and most most importantly, this week, be thankful. Be thankful for um, living in the greatest republic in the history of mankind. And uh, you know, let's preserve this thing for our yeah. kids and grandkids. That is why we have National Toilet Day, and I hope that everybody uh, celebrated National Toilet Day. I think I'm going to go celebrate it right now. And with that, <laughs> me too. Uh, let's let's uh, close it up. For uh, Paul Runyon, this is Connor Coughlin on the Midnight Ride. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family.